Well, good morning, ladies. Welcome back from spring break. Uh, can you hear me? Okay. It's what? Oh, was it fall break? <laughs> Seriously? All this time I've been thinking it was spring break? <clears throat> well, welcome back. Thank you all for coming back after that time off. Uh, I, I've been calling it spring break all this time. So it was my spring. Hey, it felt like spring, didn't it? Okay. Well, this morning we're going to jump back into our study of First Peter, and we are going to talk about a word today that's a little bit touchy, and that is the dreaded word submit. How do you respond when you hear that word? I would say that most of us probably don't like that word. Uh, it kind of conjures up the sense of resistance. We might kind of bristle and go, oh, I don't like it. We, we pull away. We have a strong dislike. Sometimes that word makes us angry. And part of the reason why is because that word has been abused over the years. But we can't ignore the fact that the command to submit and to be submissive is found throughout the Old Testament. In this week's passage that you looked at uh, over spring break, First uh, Peter 2, 13 through 3, verse 7, Peter uses that word submit or be submissive four times. It's the theme of this passage, submit. But what does that mean, to submit? And I, I'm sure you've looked at different definitions, and I, I'm just going to give you a simple definition. It means to put oneself under another's authority. That's simply put. I mean, even the Greek word there, that's basically what the Greek, it's a military term. You put yourself under the authority of the commander, and you line up. You're ready to serve. You're ready to obey. But what it doesn't mean, and this is where sometimes it, it causes us to have those negative reactions, to submit doesn't mean inferiority. It doesn't mean that when you submit <clears throat> to authority that you're, you're less than. I mean, Jesus Christ himself submitted to God the Father, but he wasn't inferior. He submitted to the Roman government at his crucifixion. <clears throat> Didn't mean he was inferior to the Roman government. He put himself under their authority. So that's what it means. So in our passage this week, Peter addresses three areas of life where we're to submit. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at these three areas. We're going to talk, look at the command, why we do it, you know, what are some exceptions. So uh, let's just jump in. And the first area, and, and most of this, this is nothing new for any of y'all. You've studied the lesson this is just kind of wrapping it up, uh, summarizing it. But the first area where we're to submit is to the government. Peter told him in 1 Peter 2, 13 to 14, and I put that on the PowerPoint for you, uh, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him. And I'm, I'm going to stop there. But we are to submit to every human institution. Kings, governors, anyone in authority 
in the government over us. Now, for Peter's original readers, he was exhorting them to pay taxes to the Roman government, to abide by the laws of the Roman government. They were to submit to the Roman emperor who was Nero, and Nero was not favorable towards Christians. He did some atrocious things to them later on. Peter would be martyred in a few years, but he was telling them, submit to Nero, this crazy leader. Why? And we have to ask that question. And Peter answers that question in in these verses. Why are we to submit to the government? And he says, for the Lord's sake. God is sovereign over all authorities, over the governments that he puts in place over us. We don't understand why. We don't understand why some of the governments that have ruled in the world were allowed, but they were part of God's sovereign plan. And he wants us to bring honor to him as we obey the authorities that he has sovereignly placed there. It is a way to honor him. So then that question, well, then how would submitting to the government bring honor to God, especially when that government's anti-Christian? I mean, how would that be honoring? Well, Peter tells them, because then if you honor the government, if you obey the government, they have no basis to criticize you. They have no basis to complain about you or to throw you under the bus, so to speak. Because you're obeying the laws, they look at you and they'll go, well, gosh, I mean, the government hates them. And yet, look, they're obeying the rules. It just doesn't give them grounds to criticize and to cause any problems when they see that we're good citizens. And so we silence our critics by submitting to the government. So what's the application for today? Are we still to submit to our government today? Yes. Uh, Our city government, our state government, our federal governments, our mayor, our governor, our president, and it's not a matter of if we like them or if we even agree with what they're doing. We're still to submit to them. You know, we pay taxes, which we don't like to do, but I hope everybody in this room pays taxes. We follow the traffic laws, and um, for the most part, we do. <clears throat> we fall and, and be thankful that we have traffic laws because when you're in India, uh, they have red lights and traffic signs, but nobody pays attention to them. And so it's a free-for-all on the highways in India. So when you go there, and you can pray for us because every year I go, I'm like, Lord, just get us out of this country safely off these roads. But here we obey the laws. We pay the taxes when we're called to jury duty. We We respond. We answer. We abide by the laws. We abide by the rulings of the judges in the courts. There's an order there. And even though our citizenship is in heaven, our true citizenship, we still are citizens of this country. And so we have to abide by the laws that have been set in place so that God will be honored 
by our responses. When we rebel to the government against the government, it brings dishonor to Christ. I remember when I got my very first speeding ticket. Now, I'm sure none of you in this room have ever gotten a speeding ticket. I'm probably the only one. But I was in my 20s. I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. And I was up at Western Kentucky in Bowling Green, and I was driving home from WKU, the campus, to my apartment that was about a 10-minute drive, straight shot. I was lost in thought. I wasn't paying attention to the speed limit. I wasn't paying attention to how fast I was going. Have you ever done that? You're just driving. And then all of a sudden, I look in the rearview mirror, and there are these blue lights flashing. And I thought, oh, no. And so I pulled up. And really, I wasn't going that fast. It was probably a 30-mile speed limit, and I was going maybe 45. But, I mean, you know. (laughs) But we are driving... Uh, you know, I'm sitting there. He pulls me over and he comes up like they do and says, ma'am, do you realize that you were speeding? And I said, I didn't really realize it, officer, but um, yes, I was. And then he said, you know, he takes your driver's license. And then he, for whatever reason, he asked me, who do you work for? Who is your employer? And I was horrified, and I thought, oh, my gosh. So I just put my head down and very softly said, Campus Crusade for Christ. (laughs) And he leaned over and he went, excuse me, who do you work for? I burst out into tears, and I went, Campus Crusade for Christ. And I'm just wanting to say, I'm so sorry. I just didn't mean to do this, and I know I shouldn't be doing this. And I just went on and on and on. I was mortified to have to tell this man that I worked for for God and I disobeyed the law. And let me just tell you, he still gave me a ticket. But that is how we should respond and the attitude that we should have. We shouldn't burst into tears every time, but we that's the attitude that we should have when we submit to the government. Of, Lord, I don't want to bring dishonor to you. And that's what I felt like when he asked me who I worked for. I wish I could say I've never gotten another speeding ticket. (laughs) But is there an exception to obeying the government? Yes. If the government commands you to do something that you know is against God's word, that's against his commandments, then you say no. And we have a biblical example of that in Daniel 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had made because they knew that God's word clearly said, you are to have no idols before me. I alone am God. They disobeyed. They knew that they were risking their life. They knew there would be consequences, and they were. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. But God delivered them. But they disobeyed because they obeyed God's law first. That's the exception. So that, that's the first area of life where we're to submit, the government. The second area where we're to submit is the workplace. 
And Peter addressed the situation of Christians here working under the authority of others. And in, in this context, it was particularly, he was referring to somebody working in somebody's home as a, a domestic servant. It's not the idea of slavery, but a domestic servant serving in a home. And some of these servants were doctors, nurses that were just serving as a medical person in that home. In verse 18, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And Peter was was trying to just encourage them that even though you have a harsh master, serve them. You're, that's that's where your your place is right now. Serve them. Do what they even if they're unreasonable. He commanded an attitude of respectful submission, regardless of the way the master treated them. So then the question: Why? Why do we? Why should they submit to a master, especially if they're harsh and unfair? And Peter says it finds favor with God. And we see that in verses nineteen to twenty. I'm not going to read them. But in 19 and 20, he talks about how it brings honor to God, especially when those, those masters are harsh and unfair and demanding. So what's the application for us today? Is there? And yes, in our culture today, we can apply that principle to our behavior in the workplace. Our employers, our bosses, our supervisors... And we are to respectfully submit to the authority over us in the places that God has placed us to work. We're to work a certain number of hours. We're to fulfill tasks and projects that we're given to do. We're, we're to, to do the work that we've been hired to do, and we're to do it well. Meet those deadlines. Don't waste time on the clock. Be honest. Be hardworking. You know, before I come here, came here, I think most of you know this, that I worked for 18 years uh, as a perfusionist in open-heart surgery. And if any of you have worked in surgery, you probably know that surgeons sometimes can be extremely um, hard to work with. Now, they can be great outside at the sink when you're scrubbing your hands. They're, I mean, and outside of the hospital, wonderful men. But the minute that mask goes on and they come into the operating room, they turn into Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <clears throat> and it is nothing unusual. And we didn't work directly for the surgeons. We were independent contractors that hired out to provide services for these, this group of surgeons. But they were still our masters in that sense. We were to submit to what the surgeon told us to do. And there were days that I would be in tears because they could be so cruel in what they would say because when things go bad in surgery, stress climbs, and it's somebody else's fault. It's never the surgeon's fault. It's your fault. But you still, you know, I, I submitted to, I just, sometimes I'd keep my mouth shut. Sometimes I'd try to defend what was going on and say, it's your fault, but... You stay there. You don't get up and walk away from the pump and go, I'm done. You submit. There were times that I got called in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. Hey, we've got a heart transplant. I need you here now. And my, my 
human response was, do you realize it is the middle of the night? I am not getting up and driving 30 minutes to come and do a case that I'm going to be up for 24 hours. That's the human reaction. But when we place ourselves under the authority of an employer, of a supervisor, we, yes, I'm throwing on my clothes, my scrubs, I'll be there in 20 minutes. We are to submit, even when they make you cry, and I've often joked about this, that working in surgery for 18 years helped prepare me for working in women's ministry. (laughs) It made me get thick-skinned where I could take it when people criticize. But we submit to them, no matter how hard a boss they are. And there were surgeons that I cringed when I knew I was going to work with them because I knew it wasn't going to be a fun day. Is there an exception, though? Yes. If they ask you to do anything that you know is contrary to God's word, if they ask you to cheat, you disobey them. And you tell them. If they ask you, uh, like, for instance, if we had a malpractice suit on a case and the surgeon would come and say, could you just uh, cut that out of your notes? Just just admit that. Don't put that in there. Can't do it. You, you stand up when you know that they're asking you to do something wrong. Or if they are in, wanting you to do anything that you know is inappropriate, you say no. And if that means losing your job, you say no. So, yes, there is an exception. When it is against God's word. So the first two areas that we're to submit to are the government and then the workplace. And then we come into the area that, uh, of the family. Chapters, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. <clears throat> and you will notice that Peter takes six verses to address the wives. And he only takes one verse to address the women, I mean the husband. And I remember the, when I first realized that, I sat and I, asked, I thought, I wonder why. And then I thought, well, you know, men don't like details. I mean, when a baby is born, we all want to know how, what time, how big, how long, how tall, what color eyes, what hair. The guy's like, did she have the baby? Great. That's all I want to know. <laughs> Bottom line, don't give me details. Just one sentence. Give me a summary. And I thought, maybe that's what Peter did. He knew men don't want details, women do. It's probably, though, more of the fact that in that time, uh, as they were new believers, and women were getting uh, adjusted to this whole sense of their freedom in Christ. And when Paul says there's no female, there's no male, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, they're thinking, oh, I can do whatever I want. And so Peter is probably addressing them and spending time to help them understand God's rules for them as a wife. Uh, And again, the man just needs, give me a sentence. What do I need to do as a husband? Fine, that's good enough. So uh, he goes and he he talks first to the wives. Let's look at that instruction first. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word 
by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So his instruction to the wife was, be submissive to your own husband. And I want to just make a point there. Notice he doesn't say, you be submissive to every man, to, ev- to your own husband. That's the only one. So then why? Why are women to be submissive? Well, first, it's God's design. God made the husband the head of the home, and the wife is to submit to the husband, even if her husband's a non-believer. You know, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5. Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. We don't always understand that. We don't always like that. But that is God's design, and she is to respect him as the head of the family. That's the first reason, because it's God's design for her to submit to the husband, the head of the crisis. He sub- I mean, the head of the, the family is the husband's to submit to Christ. But the second reason is because her actions can bring an unsaved husband to Christ. Her action of being submissive can speak louder than words and nagging or preaching to them. Sometimes just that submissive heart can do more with him than if you constantly are talking to him. But let me say that being submissive doesn't mean that the wife is to be a doormat and never give an opinion or input. And we're going to talk more about this in just a minute. And it also doesn't mean that she is to give in to abuse or to be treated harshly, physically, But what it means is to give your husband the leadership of the home and respect his decisions in leading the family. And he also challenges the wife here to cultivate respectful behavior and inner beauty. No, he's just saying, don't spend so much time, women, on your outward beauty. And at that time, in that culture, women were wearing these extravagant, buffant hairdos with all this you know, what updos and whatever you call those things. Just extravagant. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't spend your time doing that. Don't spend time on these expensive clothes. Let your heart do the speaking more than the outward appearance. Wives, submit to your husbands. Let him lead. But that doesn't mean that he can be a tyrant or a dictator. So the husbands have a responsibility to the wife. It's, it's a two-way street here. So let's look at what he told the husbands to do. In verse 7, he addresses the husband, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. He actually gives the husband two instructions concerning his behavior toward his wife. First is you need to be considerate of your wife. And that Greek phrase that's used there that we translate live with your wives in an understanding way in the Greek, it is implying that husbands 
should understand and be considerate of their wives' needs. Husbands, you take time to understand your wife. You take time to understand what are her spiritual needs. What are her physical needs for intimacy and affection? You know, what are her emotional needs? That's what he's telling them to do. You understand her. Sit down, listen, talk with her. And when he talks about the woman, the wife is someone weaker because she's a woman, a lot of people bristle at that. But most scholars, and as I look through all these commentaries, they all agree pretty much that he's referring to the physical, not that she's less or inferior. And let's face it, I mean, we are, we're just smaller built. Our bones are smaller. God made us smaller people for the most part than our husbands. We're not as strong. And so the husband, in that sense, then, is to look after her, take care of her, protect her. And then the second thing he tells him, first be considered of her, second, honor her. Honor her because she's a joint heir of Christ. She is equal with you in the eyes of Christ in terms of she is my child, just like you are. So you are to treat her with honor and respect. And then the question, why? So his prayers won't be hindered. Which implies that if he doesn't treat her that way, it's sin. Because sin hinders our our communication with God. It puts a wall there between us and God when we're sin. And so if he's treating her any other way, it's sin. So what's the application for today? Wives are to submit to their husbands, and husbands are to treat their wives with understanding and honor. But that is not always easy to do. And I will be honest with you, I know I'm not married. And I've I've struggled with having to teach this lesson because I'm like, I can't speak to you from experience. And you're probably sitting out there thinking, well, Cricket, it is easy for you to say to submit to your husband. You don't know what it's like in my household. And I don't. But God gave me this to teach. And so I I do have friends, though, that I've learned so much about who are married that I've learned a lot about submission from these friends. And I know that God's word is true whether or not I'm in that situation or not. I met a young woman um, two years ago at the Blue Ridge Christian Writers Conference. Her name is Jen Weaver, and she has written a book called A Wife's Secret to to Happiness. And we just kind of hit it off at lunch one day, and then we ended up just talking, and we sat there about 30 minutes after lunch was over just chatting. And she's from the Dallas area, but she has written it, and I highly recommend this book, um, A Wife's Secret to Happiness. And she has a chapter in that book on submission. And as I was looking back the other night, I was just reading back to her blog for something else, not even for this uh, lesson. And she had written a recent blog post on her chapter on submission. And I thought, well, that was timely. Um, And she said some things from her book that I just thought would be really good to share with you all. 
One of the things that she said that I really want to just make note of, submission is not a call to life on the sidelines with a silenced heart. It's not a call when you're told to submit to your husband that, hey, sit on the sidelines and do nothing but just, yes, sir, whatever you say. It doesn't mean to be quiet. It doesn't mean you have to take a back seat, become a doormat. You don't have to stay silent. You are an integral part of that marriage, and you have input. And that can be valuable as a woman, because sometimes the husband doesn't understand, oh, I never saw that from that perspective. I mean, I see that even on our staff team as a woman. Sometimes when you're on a team with all men and then you kind of pipe up and say something from the woman's perspective, they're like, I never thought about that. So there's value. It's not sitting on the sidelines. We have input, but in the end, we have to follow our husband's lead in decisions. So she writes in this chapter on submission, and I put this up here because it's a long quote, and I thought it'd be easier for you to read than to listen. But she says, Submission means recognizing my spouse as the leader in my home and responding to him as such. Anywhere he has an opportunity to lead, I can yield to his guidance and follow or refuse his authority and set out on my own. A wife's genuine submission is a volitional attitude a voluntary heart perspective that she chooses for herself, not something her husband can take from her. She chooses to be submissive. She must decide that it's more important to live as a team than to have the independence to do what she wants. When she releases a decision, a responsibility, or preference to submit to her mate as to the Lord, Her relationship becomes a continuous act of love and worship unto God. And then she goes on and she shares then about her own marriage. And she said that we seek unanimous decisions. But Jared, her husband, has the final word and final responsibility before God for what happens to our family. Sure, it's hard when we disagree. But I fight to submit. And I love that attitude, Um, just, I fight to submit. It's not easy. And then she goes on to share how it's easy, and she even told me this as we were having lunch that day. You know, it's one thing to write about submission. It's another thing to actually live it out in your own life. And so they went through a season when they got married, and they went through a season of infertility. And she wanted more than anything to have a baby, but they couldn't. And so she was ready to move forward and uh, go through fertility treatments, but Jared wasn't. And they argued, they talked about it, they, they discussed it. And she said, you know, it was easy to submit to my husband on things like, oh, yeah, I can handle the budget. Yeah, you want me to spend this much? Yeah, I can do that. It was easy to submit to him on executing family goals. She said, but now this is about a personal longing of mine. This is about something I long for, and I don't want to submit to his decision. But she said, I fought to submit. I learned when to bite my tongue 
and when to let it loose. I prayed. I messed up a ton in the process. But I worked to receive my husband as a leader in my home. I chose to believe that Jared lacked peace in that course of fertility treatment for a reason. And that no matter what, God would use it for our good. And thankfully, both proved true. And she says, you don't need to be perfect in this submission for it to make a radical difference in your marriage. You don't have to be perfect. But cultivate the heart perspective and choose it again and again. And she said, I chose to submit to Jared in this baby situation. It wasn't, you know, it killed her because she wanted to move in this other direction. But she knew she had to trust her husband. Well, they have a child now. And so things worked out, and she can look back and see how, yeah, my husband was right. It was not the right time. I highly recommend her book if you are looking for a good book on marriage. Um, Is there an exception to the wife submitting to her husband? Yes. And the first exception is true for all three of these situations. When a husband commands you to do something that is contrary to the word of God, you don't have to submit because you submit to God first, just like in the workplace, just like in the government. And second, when there is abuse. Abuse is never okay. Whether it's substance abuse, mental health issues, verbal abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, if you are in an abusive marriage, you need to find support from a Christian counselor or a ministry that that is their purpose, is to minister to women in abusive marriages. Don't feel wrong and guilty if you can't submit to a husband who is abusing you, even emotional abuse and not uh, just physical abuse. There is a time that you may have to get out and separate. And we've counseled women to do that. Partly for their safety and partly because y'all just need time away. Abuse is not a free uh, hand for a husband. Don't take it. And there are times, just step away from it. We've seen marriages reconciled through separation in that sense, where a husband was abusive, but over time, as going through counseling, realized. We don't like that word submit, but God commands us to submit. We're to submit to our governments, to our bosses in the workplace, and to our husbands in the family. But again, not if they command us to do something against God's command. He's always our first master. It's not easy to submit. And we can't do it on our own strength because it is not our human nature. And I love what Peter, he reminds us in the middle of this section in 2 Peter 2, 21 to 25, that Jesus is our example. That he submitted to the government. He was mistreated. He was physically mistreated. 
He was slandered. He was quiet when he was reviled. He didn't lash back or take revenge or just say, you know what, I'm not doing it. He didn't tell God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, I've changed a plan. I'm not doing this. He submitted. He is our example. And that's the only way we can do it, is we draw from his power in us to do the thing that sometimes goes against everything in us. So how are you doing in this area of submission? What's hindering you from submitting to the authorities that God has placed over you? Submit to the Lord. Submit to your authorities for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and honor him. Let me pray. Father, this was a a tough lesson, especially a tough lesson for me to teach. But Lord, our nature just doesn't want to submit. We want to be in control. That's just our natural bent. But Lord, I pray that you would take Peter's words and you would help us to just wrap our minds around it and what that means for me today. I pray, Father, if there is anybody in this room that's in a situation that she's struggling submitting because of abuse or asking to be to do things that are against God's will, that you would give her the boldness and the help from others to steer her out of that situation. Father, we entrust these things to you. In Jesus' name, amen.